the court. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining today. A couple of little housekeeping issues. First and foremost, sadly- This call may be recorded for note-taking and coaching purposes. Oh, come on, whoever that is. <laughs> they're, they're done, out, so. But anyway, um, we're going to uh, let you know that Scott is unfortunately able to meet us, be with us today. His son is actually at a pretty serious doctor appointment. He's fine. He hurt his arm, but that's where it, uh, that's where it, that's where he's at. So he won't be with us in the moment. Um, with that being said, we've got a really small group, which I like because I think you guys are all going to enjoy hearing what Tony has to say, and, um, and and he's got such a wealth of knowledge. So I'm going to leave it there. I want to actually. I first need to uh, thank our sponsors, which are Vidyard. Uh, Salesforce for Sales, um, Outreach.io, and Reggie.ai. We really appreciate everything they're doing, um, particularly with Outreach. They've got some major announcements coming out, actually starting yesterday and today. So please be sure to check them out as they've got some new uh, updates that I think is going to blow some people's minds. It's pretty, pretty cool. So anyway, anyway I'm not even going to try to introduce Tony Hughes. I'm just going to say it's Tony Hughes. Tony, would love for you to actually introduce yourself. Let Yes, pimp all the books you've written, talk about what you've done. Like you, this is your shot and your show. So uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, Richard, thanks for having me on. Uh, sorry, Scott can't be with us today. Uh, it was really funny. You know, I was talking to a CEO of a, of a telco uh, about two weeks ago, and it was just the final step in that telco uh, taking me on board and also Luigi Prestonenzi, my co-founder at Sales IQ, uh, to go and work with their big organization. And, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, someone mentioned on the call that I've published three books. And the first thing that came into his mind, you could see it going through his head was, okay, but have you ever done anything in the real world? So <laughs> and he sort of said, so are you, are you one of these authors? And I said, no, no, it's all okay. You know, I've run the Asia Pacific region for North American multinationals. So I've been in your role. Um, I've set records as a salesperson that have never been broken. Um, so I'm a 35-year veteran of actually doing this in the trenches. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely not a theorist. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's that's where I think most people will really get the value. And I'm really happy for anybody to challenge the things that we talk about today. So I love it too. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. We neither of us are the kind of person who wants to say we know it all. We want to learn from everyone. No. no. So, uh, you know, if you're familiar with how we do things, first thing I would love for people to do is go into the chat and just tell us where you're dialing in from. It's always cool to see where that's happening and where people are coming from. Um, the other thing I want to put in, I'm going to put in the chat is the actual original registration page. And the reason it's there is that at the bottom under the registration, there's a worksheet. And in that worksheet, it's digital. You can fill it in. It talks about, gives you the opportunity to capture your three notes, what your actual action items are. Like, it's great to come and listen to something like me and Tony, but we want you to leave with something to do. And so yeah. we want to try and help you and empower you to do that. So that's at the bottom of that link. So uh, thanks everybody for, for coming and showing up. So we're here to talk about de-risking your pipeline, right? Like this was a great topic when I was talking to Tony uh, to set this up. So Tony, let's, at a high level, before we get into the details, you know, my theory has always been, look, if you've got a deal in your pipeline and it's more than double your average sales cycle, if your sales cycle is 30 days and it's in there 60, if it's 90 days, 180, you have to kill it. You kill it. Now, there's one exception. If you can go to the Vatican 
and get a note from the Pope, I'll let you keep it in the pipeline. And look, I say this as a nice Jewish kid, so you know, I, I, you know, it's not to pick on any particular religion. Maybe you can go to talk to my mom, my nice Jewish mother, and convince her otherwise. But um, what do you talk about de-risking? Like, how? Do, what are just at a high level? What are those things that you can immediately see that say, "Oh, this is really at risk." Yeah, so, so maybe just a couple of things. We, we all know that between opening and closing is the middle, and the middle is where deals go to die. Uh, and the most important phase of selling is not closing, it's opening. Because yes. if, we don't, if we don't open a deal the right way, the probability of doing great discovery, uh, g- gathering consensus, securing political alignment, nailing the business case for change, creating positive bias for us and against competition, the reality is we don't get to do all of those things if we don't open strongly. So we'll sort of come back to that at the end, but between opening and closing is the middle. It's often where deals stall and die. And what we know is that deals getting stuck in stage is a huge red flag. So I I agree with you about overall cycle time, but we should also think about our sales stages, which should align with buyer's journey, you know, so align our selling process with their buying process and think about stages. And we should know what the average time is for a deal in stage. So they definitely think red flags for deals getting stuck in stage. Yeah, I, um, I completely agree. Um, I've been, you push back on me on this one. Like I've, I've yeah. sort of been throwing out this theory that it's not about the buyer's journey. It's about the buyer's experience. You don't go to a new restaurant and say, hey, how was your journey? You know, let me tell you about my journey. They want to, <laughs> you want to tell, you know, it's like, well, how was your experience there, right? Like, you know, Agree, disagree? Like, what do you think? Well, I, I partially agree. So, so I agree that the biggest single point of differentiation in winning the deal is the experience that the buying organization has in engaging us. Right. So we absolutely know that it's more than 50% of decision waiting is the experience that they have. Less than 10% is price. Less than 40% is our brand and the attributes of what we sell. So the experiences we create is incredibly important and we won't dive down this rat hole, but one of the things I, that I predict along with Justin Michael in the new book, Tech Powered Sales, is that in this decade, there will be 30, maybe a third less field sellers in the world at the end of this decade. Oh yeah. Because, because buyers are looking for the right kind of experience and they, and they don't want human beings involved in the process if they don't provide any level of value for them. So I definitely agree that the experience we create is really important, but if we're looking about de-risking deals, getting a more accurate forecast, avoiding deals, slipping and stalling, process is actually critically important. We need to understand their evaluation, selection, procurement, contracting process and align with it. And, if, and deals can take longer than normal and still be okay if there's a good reason for it, right? So if, if we're doing a big deal, it's above the normal person's approval thresholds. Uh, you know, they may have budget, but then they've got to go and put a business case back up to get that budget released so they can actually buy. Uh, if there's key stakeholders, they need to get on board. If there's a good reason for things happening, then that's okay. The, the, the issue is deal momentum. Yep. And there's a, there's a lot of thinking out there around qualifying deals. We have to qualify the prospect, qualify the prospect. And I as agree as a seller that, it's irresponsible of us to waste our precious time and our organization's resources on poorly qualified deals. 
But here's the interesting thing. No buyer likes to be qualified by a seller. They, yeah. they, hate, they hate people doing that to them. Yeah. So, in my, so in my view, rather than our BANT, MEDIC, TAS, you know, whatever our qualification process or acronym is, we need to think about level of engagement. It's the degree to which the customer or potential customer shares insider information with us and access to other people. That's what's going to determine our probability of winning. So, totally so, so think about engagement. Yeah. So, you know, only because you brought them all up except mine, you know, neat selling is my favorite uh, acronym. Ah. <laughs> That's okay. Um, you know, you, you, you unpacked a lot in there and I think it's great. I want to remind people that one, yes, we're going to give away some money today later on. Uh, and <laughs> you put your questions in the chat. If you have a question for Tony, um, I want to make sure that we, you know, we really hit on those things that, that we that attracted us to this, which is one, you said there are three things that a deal pushes and dies. Yeah. Right? yeah. What are those three things as you see them? Yeah. So there's, there's three things we can do something about and, and there's a fourth thing. Uh, and, and these four things are, are really a catch all for everything I've ever come across in why deals slip and stall and die. The first one is a lack of, compelling commercial value in the mind of the real decision maker or the consensus team in the organization. So, so what happens with every deal of significant size is the person we're working with eventually goes to someone in their organization, the CFO, the CEO, whoever it is, and they say, hey, can you sign this off? Can you, can, can you give me approval? Can you release the budget that I've been allocated for this initiative? And inevitably, the conversation goes along the lines of this. Uh, hey, hey, Mike, um, look, I've got 27 things on my desk I'm being asked to approve right now. Um, we don't have the bandwidth or resources. It's not even about the money. We don't have the bandwidth and resources to do everything. You know, there's a lot of change fatigue in the organization at the moment. You know, why, why this over everything else? And inevitably what happens is our coach, champion, um, whatever you want to call the person, advocate in there for the deal, they often botch the answer to that question. Yep. And, and what they need to be able to say is, this is essential because, and it pays for itself by. So yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's completely interesting because this is the thing that I teach and I know a lot of other people, but it's about yeah. the economic impact. What's this exactly. economic impact of solving this problem? And the piece that I always say, and it goes back to what you said, the 27 things on their desk is, hey, what's the impact of this, which is a sort of this hard cost, right? Like how much time is it taking? How many people is it affecting? Yeah. You know, sort of numberizing it, right? And then putting a dollar to that. And then say, by the way, if we reduce and save you X amount of time, what are the things on that 27 to-do list Yeah. gets done? And how do those affect your revenue, right? Like that's yeah. the huge piece. Like that's, and people like to sort of call it ROI, but you know, I don't like that phrase because nobody believes the R, right? They only look at the I. And so when I if I paint it as economic impact, what's your economic impact? It's all about Tony's economic impact. It's got nothing to do with me, right? Yeah, so yeah. I really love that. Yeah, and, and Richard, I'm with you 100%. Everything they're being asked to approve has ROI. And you're right, no, nobody believes the exaggerated claim of the seller. Right. So, so the first reason is a lack of compelling commercial value. And yes, we need to sell to both head and heart, right? So if it's something that's got emotional impact, it's important, aligns to the vision of the CEO or, you know, 
solve some, you know, raw wound that they're dealing with, you know, something negative. So all of those things are good, but there has to be compelling commercial value. I'll talk about how we solve these problems a little later. The second reason, the second reason deals typically, typically stall and die is a lack of consensus, a lack of consensus with the stakeholders in the organization. It's easy to focus on the people that we think say yes, but there'll be others that can say no, right? So for example, maybe the IT department, you know, need, need to do something, right, for us to be able to be implemented successfully, or someone in the HR organization or someone in the finance team needs to be involved. And their leader says, hey, you know, I've, I've lost two or three people in my team during this great resignation period, don't you know? And I'm really struggling with bandwidth. I can see this is a good idea. I can see it's good for the organization and there's ROI, but I don't have the bandwidth in my team. Can we just defer this until Q2 next year? You know, when I've, when I've filled those, those missing roles I've got. So if we don't have consensus, if there's any form of doubt, because if there's not compelling commercial reasons for going ahead, then people focus on the most trivial things that actually give them cause for pause, right? So doubt. Right. So, so compelling commercial value, consensus for the decision. And then the third reason that deals can slip, stall, and die is because we, and that's the royal we, us and the customer, didn't truly understand and align with their process for actually buying mm -hmm. something, right? So there's there's something nasty pops up in their process. Um, and, he, and, you know, as we look at the run-up to Christmas now, you know, it's easy for someone to go away on leave, that, you know, they were someone that had to sign it off. They're not sure when people come back. Um, so, so they're the, the three things that we can typically have a degree of control over. And here's the fourth one. The fourth one is crap happens, you know, our supporter <laughs> leaves, like our key supporter resigns and leaves the organization. The company gets acquired. They post bad results, right? There's just, there's just something happens outside of our control. Right. And what, and what we know is the longer the deal drifts on, the higher the chance or probability that something nasty outside of our control will pop up, right? Yep. Like a new CIO joins the organization and says, we're freezing everything, or a new CEO joins, or a new CFO joins, even though they're not that CFO. Yeah, it's you know. So these things outside of our control, we've got to recognize that time kills deals. Yep. So um, maybe we can talk about well, what do you do about those three things? Yeah, we should. Um, I wanted to sort of do two things. So one, quickly, just rattle off the four real quick, right? Um, so there's one, two, three, four. What are they for folks who want to get notes? Lack of compelling commercial value. Right. Lack of consensus, not understanding their process, and just something nasty happening, right. like like a key decision maker leaves or yep. they get acquired. Yeah. So, um, and even Chris chimed in in the chat that you know, like a global pandemic. Right? Yeah. That's something <laughs> yes. super nasty. Um, yes. Appreciate that comment, Chris. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> Goodbye, Chris. It, I want to obviously want to get to the other topics as well, but yeah, let's talk about those things. What can we do? to better control them. And I also think from the context of, if I'm a leader coaching my team to get this information as much as if I yeah. were an individual contributor and the advice you're gonna give there. So sort of wanna frame it up a couple of ways. Okay, what, what I'd like to give everybody is, is three questions that you want to ask as early as possible when you engage a client. Because the sooner we deal with these issues, the faster our deal will progress mm -hmm. and the less risk we'll have in being able to close. 
So yeah. let's imagine let's imagine that a lead's come to us and the, the client is in the mode of comparing us with other options, right? Because a lead's come to us and, 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 they're, and they're asking us their 763 questions. Maybe they've sent us a spreadsheet, right. you know? Right. <laughs> hey, 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 Richard, could you fill in the spreadsheet with the 763 questions and, get, and send us your price? You so we never mind. want... <laughs> so we, ne- we never want to appear to be uncooperative. So we say, sure, more than happy to do that, Mary. But do you mind if I ask? Here's question one. What's happened inside the organization that's caused you to want to look at this right now? Now, so many sellers I work with will say, I got it. Hey, Mary, what's happened inside the organization that caused you to think that our company would be the best solution for you? And I go, no, no, no. That is not the question at all. That is a kludgy, manipulative salesperson's question that will damage you in the deal, right? But don't ask that one. Just, hey, what's happened inside the organization that's caused you to want to look at this now? Here's the second question. If you were to implement something, you know, whether it was with us or somebody else, what improved results are you expecting, both for you in your role and for the organization? Now, the reason these two questions are really important is they get to the trigger event, the impact, and the business case of doing something. Because the biggest competitor we're really dealing with is the competitor of apathy, status quo, and do nothing. So we're trying to establish the commercial impact of change and whether this person is is a decision maker. Because if, if, if there's no improved result that they need in implementing the project, then they've obviously just been asked to go and evaluate options. And the degree to which the person will share information back with us in response to that is the thing that's going to determine whether we win. And if they go, look, hey, hey, Richard, I'm not even quite sure why you'd ask, buddy. You know, just fill in the spreadsheet and send me your price. And then what I recommend is you'd say, well, Mary, the, the reason I'm asking is I, I work with people going through this process all the time. And let's assume they're the project manager for the initiative, you know, and, and as the project manager, something that's so common that I see is someone in your role will be tasked with going and implementing something but if it's underfunded and doesn't have the right level of support in the organization, the project's in trouble right out of the gate. I'd just like to work with you to help you make sure that you've got the right level of executive commitment, yep. funding and resources behind this. That's, yep. actually where, that's actually where your biggest risk is. I know right now you're trying to figure out who would be the right vendor or partner to work with. And I know you need to make the right decision with who you select, but you know, 95% of your risk or is in does it have executive commitment behind it you know beyond just a sponsor and is it funded and resourced the right way so let me let, let me help you validate the business case whether you you buy from us or not i'm more, still more than happy to help you and and then you get to the third question so, so mary where, where do you see the risks in getting this done successfully so the three questions are what's happened inside the organization that's caused you to want to look at this what improved results are you looking for, both for you and your role in the organization? And where do you see the risks? Yep. Because our, our job in selling is to, is to help the client have their own epiphany that they need to be creating the right comparisons in their mind, not the wrong ones. So the wrong comparison is let's compare Richard Harris's IP and product and services and rates with other options. That, that's what they want to do. We want them to create a different comparison. What's the cost of inaction 
of staying in current state, of doing nothing, compared with working with Richard to get that problem solved. This is this, is, this aligns a thousand percent with everything I do, right? Um, yeah. You know, for me, even wearing my shirt that says "Earn the right to ask questions." You, you know, there's a moment before you ask these questions, but these yeah. are the questions you ask, and each of those three questions, particularly the first one, "What's happening now?" is is the question I encourage everybody uses that transition statement from. Hey, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. You know, you're sort of what I call a respect contract. So yeah, um, I love those moments and I, and I love what you're saying. So of course it's, yeah. it's telling me I should have written three books a while ago too. So uh, <laughs> well, and, and Ricky, the that. other thing, the other thing this highlights too, right. Is that there's no, new, there's no new truth. Like you, yeah. you and I've both known this and discovered this a long time ago, right? Yeah. There, nothing, nothing has changed in sales since about Mesopotamia as best I can tell. <laughs> Yeah, and the and the other thing that's so important here is we want to be conveying the right intent. We don't want the buyer to feel like we're qualifying them. You know, we're right. giving them the Spanish Inquisition. We're trying to qualify them to see whether yep. they're worthy of our time. Yep. We want to avoid all of that. The intent we're wanting to convey is, hey, I'm all about trying to figure out whether we're the right fit for each other, yep. and help and help you de-risk. This yep. this initiative that you that, that you're responsible for in the organization, whether you oh, buy from yes, us or not, yes. is fine. If we're not a good fit, I'll bow out. I'll, I'll even maybe recommend who I think you should yep. be working with. Um, but but let's let's take the risk out of this thing that you're trying to drive because customers are often their own worst enemy, right? Yep. They they treat the supplier like they're a commodity, uh, and they they keep them at arm's length. When the truth is, vendor selection, although important is not where the majority of their risk is. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because, you know, even our even our leadership treats us like a commodity. So internally, so I, you know, the pain yeah. comes from both yeah. sides. A <laughs> um, couple of things. So, you know, our a good friend, I think, you know, John Barrows, a uh, really good friend of mine. John, you know, John of, Barrows is brilliant. Yeah. And one of his favorite lines that I've, I've really picked up on lately is, you know, qualifying is about us and discovery is about them. So, you know, qualifying is very much stuff you can do quickly. And, and in my mind, you can actually do qualifying by doing better discovery, right? Like I don't yes. need to know how many salespeople you have on your team. I can probably go to LinkedIn and figure it out and I'll still have the conversation, even if you've yeah. only got three people, because who knows? Like it's, yeah. you know, you know, it's just, it's just silly that people sort of go through this grill and drill of, of things. Um, well, thank you so much. So those, I, I really like that piece. My, my next question is, and I got to pull them back up um, talking about, you know, what leaders should manage specifically? Because you can't manage people, right? You can manage a process and, you know, you can't control people. What do you want the leaders who are here to understand that they could maybe do better or hopefully for some of these leaders confirm they're doing it right all along? Yeah, so a really good friend of mine is Jason Jordan. He co-authored a book with Michelle Vanzella called Cracking the Sales Management Code. I, I love that book. I know Jason. Yeah. I, I actually think it's the best book ever written on sales management um, because it's really practical. And, and the thing that Jason says in the book, and I agree 100%, is, is, is what you've said, Richard. You, you can't manage people really. You can't manage results or outcomes, right? So if you think about, you know, what, what I want is a result. Well, okay, to achieve that result, you're going to need to achieve uh, some objectives, Right. So if, if, if you want to do, I'll make, I'll make something up. Let's say that you want to do 130% of the target. You go, okay, well, I can't really manage that. That's the result I want. So what's the objective or the objectives that I need to hit if I'm going to do that? You go, okay, well, 
I'm, I'll make this up. Every business will be different, but I'm going to need 3.7 times that number in qualified pipeline nine weeks out, you know, from, from when I want to hit that number for the quarter. Um, again, you should know your own numbers inside your business. Numbers are critically important. So you go, okay, so the objective is that level of pipeline coverage with quality deals. Great. Then what are the activities? So we've got result, objective, activities. The activities are the things that we can manage, right? So we, we want people focused on the objective, right? That'll end up delivering the result. And then we can manage the activities and the way that people execute. Um, so for example, if, if we're using, there's lots of products that do this, but if we use something like Gong, you know, that records calls, um, you know, then one of the activities we can manage is, is listening into calls that people were doing with them, doing a debrief, enabling them to coach themselves and actually listening back, hey, you know, this was a strong buying signal. It sailed right past because you were fixated on the next question you were going to ask. So we can do that coaching. So we, we need to think about what are the activities I need to, you know, that I need to manage. And in, in the world of this, it'd be, well, I need to be doing, you know, whatever it is, or my people need to be doing, you know, 90 minutes or two 90 minute time block outbound sessions. They need to do it effectively using the combo prospecting technique where they're pattern interrupting. They need to start leading with the phone rather than passive engagement in LinkedIn and email. Um, and then what you do is you can manage, do they have the time blocks? You can say to people, show me your list for your time block tomorrow morning. Do you have phone numbers? Do you have email addresses? Uh, you can do debriefs with them out, you know, af afterwards. So the thing for leaders is, is be very clear about the, the objectives you need to achieve to hit the result. And then what are the activities you're going to manage with people? And then my last piece on this, in the same way that prospects don't like being qualified by a seller, no seller likes to be sales managed by their boss. So what you want is you want the seller having their own epiphany about what they need to commit to. So for example, a sales IQ, we've created a sales success plan calculator where the seller sets their own objectives, then they work at average deal size, cycle time, the typical ratios as you move through the top of funnel process to get a good qualified deal, then what are your win rates? And it just reverse calculates for them what the activity levels need to be for these time blocked outbound sessions. So they do this themselves and go, holy crap, you know, I need to be doing seven outbound sessions a week or three, or even if it's two, right? So then they've identified what they need to do. And now the manager is saying, hey, I'm committed to your success. You've identified this is what you need to do. When are you going to get, get it booked in? I want to do a debrief with you after everyone to see how we can be better supporting you. So again, your intent is all about the salesperson's success, yep. not here's my flamethrower in one hand and my forecast in the other, you know, give me more revenue. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I interpret that, what you said as, you know, I want to empower my team with the data and then go to them and say, how can I help you get there? What do you need from me? Do you want more coaching sessions? I'll give you more, right? Um, yeah. So I, I really like that because it's, it, you know, to your point, it's not micromanaging. Uh, I want to ask you a question completely off topic. Well, on topic, but, but different. One of the things I've, I've noticed, and I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm happy to throw myself under the bus. Um, you know, the level of coaching that I think millennials and Gen Z desire, I wouldn't even say require, it's desire. I would have felt like micromanaged. Do you know what I mean? Like having yeah. something like a gong or a chorus or 
any of these tools um, would have even, I remember, you know, when we first were going to put in, what was it, gold mine? I was like, oh my God, they're going to see everything I'm doing. Right? For those of you who don't know, just Google it. It's an old CRM. So, um, like ACT. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like Lotus Notes. Um, yeah. But it's interesting because I think the generations, have, and it's one of the reasons I like working with the younger generation because they, they're so, they're, they're so much more spongy. They want to learn, um, which I guess that means they like to listen to me so I can talk. But do you see the same thing? Do you see this sort of generational divide on this level of management? Because I see so many managers who suck at it. They're just not good. Yeah, Richard, I, I agree with you. And there's also another problem. The, the other problem that exacerbates the reality of what you just talked about is that there's, there's fewer sales managers per rep in organizations. So, yeah. so, the, so the management layer is being stretched thinner. Uh, and they're being burdened with a whole lot of overhead and, and manage up tasks all of the time. Oh, yeah. so, so the you know in the in the good old days, one of the primary roles of a sales manager was to be a coach of their people, right? And and you'd you'd have smaller teams where the manager was the coach. Whereas What's now, the good ratio then? What do you if you're working with an organization? What do you say, manager to rep? Uh, I would I would say eight reps per manager. You know, would be the biggest you'd want it to be if if you believe that coaching is a, is, a, is a pivotal and important role for the sales leader. And that's the piece. Because so often they are like, well, can't you just do it all? Like they have no clue, right? It, yeah. or, or, we've got, we've, or we've got a sales enablement department and we've got a million online, online you know, e-learning courses that we expect people to do, right? So, right. so here's, here's, here's my, really, my really provocative thing about sales management. I believe that for almost all organizations, if you look at the revenue chain inside their own business, the weak link in that revenue chain is sales management. That's the weak link. Yeah. Because the degree to which the sales manager enforces and also leads with good hygiene, culture, and accountability and coaching is the degree to which there'll be good execution. So for, for, for example, we all know that unless you have clarity about your ideal customer profile, right? So in other, in other words, you're targeting, you know, where there's good product market fit and highest propensity to buy. If unless you're engaging on the basis of warm introductions and referrals and trigger events for context in conversations, unless you're building conversations all about that person's opportunity to drive improved results in their role, rather than conversations about us and what we do, um, unless people are disciplined in the daily habitual activity of consistently building pipeline, unless they're creating progression in conversations, like I could go on and on, right? But unless these things are happening, there is not going to be success. And the sales manager's job is to keep removing excuses and roadblocks until all that's left is no more excuses and accountability. Sometimes so, it's the sea level that's the roadblock. Um, which I think, you know, you and I both know. Um, got a question from, from Shafi. Shafi, I hope I pronounced your name right. Uh, please correct me if not. Uh, but go ahead. And I know it's in the chat, but go ahead. We, we like to create some engagement here. Yes, Richard. That was uh, excellent pronunciation. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, thank you very much. Um, really appreciate it, Tony. His. Um, so my question is regarding the activities that is defined by the organizations and proven to be successful. And now if 
how do you manage that? And also have reps have their own, own autonomy to implement yeah. things and think outside the box. Yeah, so it's not a case, Shafi, and, and thank you for the question, Shafi. It's not a question of either. I really think it's both. So I know when I got my first ever job in selling, I was so awful at it. I'd never worked in sales. But the very first thing I did is I asked my boss and others, and I've got to tell you, I struggled to go find the answer, but I was persistent. I wanted to find out what, what are the metrics for being successful in this role? Let's, let's forget all the magic of, oh, he's a great seller. He's got the gift of the gab, right? Like what are the activity levels? So how many prospecting calls, how many proposals, how many demonstrations, what are the metrics for success? And then once I found out what those numbers were, I increased them by 50% for me because I thought I'm not as good as these other people. So I went and found out what are the metrics for proven success so everybody should go and find out what that is for their industry and their company. Then the, the next thing is every company should have a well-defined sales process. So if we think, okay, well, I need to do discovery well. Okay, well, what are the things we need to know? We, we, can't, we can't do a good proposal unless we have all of the right information. Um, what, what are the typical objections that we'll be faced with and how can I position in a way that avoids the objection how do I respond if it just pops up? So there's things that are just true that we need to know, but then what we need to layer onto this is our own, our own creativity and personality. Now, if someone says to me, I don't believe in using the phone, my personal point of view is, well, I don't care about what you believe. If you refuse to use the phone as a seller, you're not going to be successful. Yep. If, you're, if you're just passively grooming your LinkedIn profile and publishing content all day, thinking that the world will be the path to your door with leads, you're deluded. So, so um, you know, like there's just things that don't work, right? If, if you call people up and say, hi, Mary, it's Shafi from, from XYZ, we're the global market leader, and you start talking about yourself, the, the law of selling is that when we talk about us and what we do, we invite comparison with competition questions about price and we get delegated away yep. and, I, and i and i don't care what the seller's opinion is that's how the world is so don't call up and talk about yourself call up and say hey hey mary you know john suggested i give you a call i noticed xyz is happening in, in your role uh, hey the reason i'm calling is i think there could be an opportunity for you and then you talk about a benefit for them, a, a way they could drive improved results in the role. So that it, it's having customer-centric conversations, turning up with a point of view, having done some research, talk the language of leaders, which is results, don't be a waffler. Like these things are just true. And if a seller says, yeah, but I like to call people up and ask them how their weekend was and do 10 minutes of personal chit-chat, you know, as a way of earning the right to ask the question, I'll say, well, Yes, we need to be friendly. If that works for you, great. But, you know, there's sellers are really busy. They're not looking for another friend in their life from the world of selling. I really think you need to tighten things up. So use your own personality, but, but honor the laws of what works would be my advice. I, I agree with you. And I love that line. They're not looking for another friend. I run into this too, though, with, with people. And, and I will coach more towards your style. But I'll also say the same thing. Look, if you're hitting your numbers, and you're yeah. doing it your way, don't change right. just because Richard walked or Tony walked in the door. 
right? Like I don't need you, you got something that works for you. Uh, and then, you know, the other piece of advice, and I actually learned this from Scott was, if you're going to try something new, only try something new after you've accomplished your one for the day. So if your job is to set a meeting a day, don't try something new till you set that first meeting. Because otherwise you're going to shift and, you're, and you're not going to know what to say. You're not going to know how to say it. You got to work it out and iron it out. So make sure you take that. Heck yeah, the, the pressure's off for this one little piece. So now I'm going to try something new. Yeah. Um, and, and I think someone, I think John put into the chat a little bit about, you know, A-B testing yeah. every single thing. Right? So I think that's, that's, that's super huge. Um, I want to, I want to go over to, uh, I got to find you Barat on the channel. I'm gonna have Actually, I, I, I can see the question here. So, yeah. so um, yeah, Barat, would you like to unmute and ask, or, or I can just read it out? I'd let you unmute Barat if you want. Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks for the opportunity here. So basically my question today is uh, regarding training or coaching of reps. Since uh, different reps come from different backgrounds and different organizations, some learn uh, different kind of sales methodologies, whether it be spin selling uh, and uh, solution selling or maybe any other kind of methodology. So when it comes to sales manager, it becomes challenging to kind of understand what the experience has been in the past for that specific person. Now coach them in an effective manner. So say there are five reps, each rep comes with a different uh, sales methodology. So understanding that and coaching them. So that becomes yeah. a little tricky or, or a burden to the sales manager. So how to make that more proficient and effective for that specific sales manager? Bharat, that's a really great question and thank you. So the first thing is we all need to recognize that there's a difference between sales methodology and sales process. Okay, so as an organization, you'll have a sales process that, that you run uh, aligned with the way that people buy. What's laid onto that is a, is a methodology for doing things. So um, to sort of give you an example here, if someone says, well, you know, I, I, I use SPIN. Well, the first thing is SPIN is not really a process. SPIN is a, is a, is a methodology for thinking about types of questions. And, and what you don't do is you don't go, let me ask you a situation, a situation question, then a problem question, then an implication question, then a needs payoff, which is really the value or the benefit question. If you're just going S-P-I-N, S-P-I-N, you're just annoying the crap out of the poor prospect, right? Um, but there's things about um, selling. If you think about challenger, for example, so challenger selling, value selling, solution selling, insight selling, they all speak to the same thing, which is that we need a point of view that we take to the customer, researched, credible point of view about how they could be improving results in their role for the organization. And, and whether you're trained on challenger selling, value selling, whether you're trained on, trained on Miller Hyman, Taz, it's just, it's just a principle that we need to honor. So um, it's great if people have been trained and we don't want to confuse people, but there's common threads. You know, I've, Richard's got his own methodology. I've, I've got my own strategic selling, RSVP selling. I won't bore you with what that's all about, but it's a, it's a methodology for managing deal risk, right? So, so making sure that you're upping the win rate in the deal. But I say to someone, if you've been trained on Taz or Miller-Hyman, you know, great. My RSVP questions layer over the top. With I say this all the time. Like, so yeah. here, here's what I, 
what I what I'm hearing you say and how I encourage people to think about it is the way you talk to your prospects and the way you ask questions should be designed to make them paint a picture of pain. Yeah. Right. So you, all the way back yeah. to what Tony said at the beginning is, you know, what's happening in the organization that's prompting this conversation? Well, now there's a picture in their head, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'll get, I'm sure, Tony, you probably get the same thing. I'm like, hey, Richard, we need help with prospecting, negotiation, and closing. I'm like, okay, well, where is it falling apart in the negotiation? Give me an example. So now all of a sudden we're making them live in that moment, right? Um, in a non-manipulative way, but it helps us really understand what they're trying to do. So I, I love that piece. And then the other thing I'll say around the process and methodology and philosophy and all those things is that, um, one, it's important to have one that's a common language. The challenge I see, and I'm not a fan, I don't tell people who hire me to go and rip out whatever they're using and put in neat selling. Because the, the, the deal is, is that neat selling is not going to be any better because the problem with the first one was nobody coached to it. It was never refined enough and then nobody coached to it. So you're going to have the same problem whether you put in RSVP or neat or anything else. So I always make sure that, that we talk about that. And then to your point, I call it bolting on. Right, Tony, like RSVP bolts on to Miller Hyman. So does neat selling. It bolts bolts on to Challenger and all those things. So I, I completely agree with you on, on all these on all this stuff. I want to move on to our, our third piece of this conversation. Um, and again, folks, feel free to put questions in there. And then at the end, we're gonna we're gonna give away some money. So um, what what is what are what do we want them to be better at? Right. So we've talked about they need to have this you know, know your numbers, have your plan, right? We can coach them to be better at that. What other kinds of things can we coach them at that you see as, from a sales leader perspective? One of the things that's so important is sellers need to be able to tell great true stories that make other customers the hero of the story, not us. So most sellers think, yes, I need to tell stories, but almost every one of their stories has them as the hero of the story, <laughs> them, them or their company. We want the customer to be the hero. So if you're going to adopt an insight-led approach to selling, one where we've got a point of view, a worthwhile point of view for the customer, we need to be able to quickly tell these great true stories on how others have moved the needle on results. So one of the best things you can do as a seller is really work hard, dig deep, go have a look at your company case studies, Go talk to your customer success or account manager uh, people in your own business about the clients that are that are happy, referenceable clients and, and ask them what happened in the organization that started them down the path that led to us. What was their business case that they put up internally? How have they moved the needle on results? Um, you know, where, where were their biggest risks as, as they implemented? Um, if you can understand those things, you're now equipping yourself to be far more consultative in how you sell. Um, because until the customer is first convinced of the need to change, and Richard, you talk rightly about pain, pain, as we both know, can also manifest as they know that they're not benefiting from the positive, brighter future that they think they can have as well, right? So they think, man, every month we're staying in current state, look at the market share we're missing out on, the revenue we're missing out on. Um, uh, so it's re really important that there's just a compelling commercial reason. And that's, that's in essence, how you want to build your consultative approach. You want to get really good at co-creating the business case for change, helping them secure consensus within the organization. That, that is what makes you a really good consultative seller. 
and we need to earn the right to have those engagements. I, I love Rich, Richard, your whole thing of earn the right. We need to earn the right based on our worthwhile point of view, not based on disingenuous rapport building and friending strategies. No, I, I completely agree. Um, want to give one more shout out to, to anyone with a customer. Um, and I'm going to put a couple things over in the chat. So first thing is I promised that we would do this interesting because nobody ever does this with one of our sponsors. <laughs> they asked me to post something from Outreach so that people could take a look at it. So thanks to our sponsors, Outreach, Reggie.ai, Salesforce for Sales, and Vidyard. We appreciate everything that they do to help us bring these, these great conversations to, to fruition. Um, and then I also want to let people know, and if you are looking at um, customer success as something, we're going to be doing something with uh, Nick Meta. Um, in uh, let's see October 27th. So I'll put a link into the chat there as well. And we will um, love to see you there at, at uh, speaking about customer success. And then of course, I'm also gonna put Tony's and my uh, LinkedIn profiles in as well so that you can do that. Uh, follow us if you like. So uh, Tony, where can people get a hold of your books these days before we do the final wrap up in the contest money? Yeah, so if, if, if you just go to Amazon and look for, for Tech Powered Sales, co-authored that with Justin Michael, uh, and also Combo Prospecting. Uh, these two books are all about solving the top of funnel prop, top of funnel pipeline problem. Uh, you can also find me at salesiqglobal.com. Hey, Richard, I'd really encourage you to maybe get my co-founder partner, Luigi Prestonenzi, on at some stage to interview. Okay. He, could, he could really talk well about this issue of style because Louis and I have got very different selling styles. And he adopted some of these principles that I'm really strong about, like, you know, let's dial back the friending and rapport building, get to the point faster. And he was quite uncomfortable with that. He is a phenomenal seller and it took his incredible results to a whole new, even better level. So it That's speaks great. to this issue of, hey, look, I've got my style. Why should I change? Yeah. yeah it'd be really uh, yeah. Send me, send me an intro to him. I'll be happy to do it. All right. Here's how we do the, the contest winner. I close my eyes. And I roll my hands around and I touch the screen and uh, I hope I say it right. Clementa Butler, you just won 300 bucks. So stay on here for a second when we hang up and uh, I'll get your Venmo or however you want to get it. So uh, thanks again, everybody. I really appreciate you showing up and giving us the time. Tony, thank you. It's always enlightening to, to see and work with you. So uh, best to you and everybody and everybody's family as uh, through as we start to hit the holiday season, crazily yeah. enough. So thanks, thanks everyone. Man. Bye, everyone. Hey, Clementa.